Hello, this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. So this is this is a little different this morning, guys. You guys don't get to hear me preach. Everybody said amen. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had a we had a. I'm gonna let Pastor John kind of uh, just share some things this morning, and I'm sure he might fill you on some details. But I want I want to let you know that we don't uh, we don't kind of give our pulpit away to just anyone here at Open Door Church. We believe um, that it's kind of a sacred space. Um, but kind of the way that this came about, uh, and I'm sure he'll share a little bit, um, was uh, I just believe a God thing. And I say that because I am anticipating God to speak this morning. And I want us to give Pastor John um, our our fullest attention. and Also, just give the Lord opportunity to move and minister in our hearts. Amen? Because I believe that the word that he has for us is good. Amen. It's a pleasure to be here, first of all. And let me explain how I got to be here. Oh, about last year, about this time, my wife and I came here just for one service. And since then, we've been praying for you guys. And about September, God kept laying on my heart. He said, call Pastor Nate up and tell him you need to preach. Now, I've been preaching for 32 years. And if someone called me out of the blue and said, I want to preach at your church. I would go, mm-hmm. And, and, and I argued with God. I said, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. I mean, I don't know if you ever talked to God, but I have a conversations with God. But as I was telling you, the Lord kept impressing upon me, call, call. And I finally called Pastor Nate. I think it was, oh, like October the 1st or 2nd. And I could tell when I was talking to him, he's like, all right. And I told him, pray about it, pray about it. And I said, now, call me back. You know, and he said, I'll call you back. He didn't call me back. You know, and I was like talking to God. I'm like, you told me to do this. And then I think it was just a test. You know, sometimes you get a test. And I thought, well, God, you just test me. You know, you made me look stupid, but that's fine. I don't mind. And then Pastor Nate finally called me back. And I, and I was excited. I called my wife. Up. He called me back. You know, it's like hey, about time. But God has a message for us. The title of the message is Breakthrough. And when God gave it to me, and this was back in July when he gave me this message, and I thought it was for my church, and, and I delivered this to my church, but it was really for you guys. It's, it's for you. It was always meant for you. And, and I just want to go over some ground rules. Um, yesterday I was watching the OU Texas game, and I know that probably doesn't mean a thing to you, but if you're from Oklahoma, beating Texas makes us happy. I mean, we rule, we get to walk around going like this, you know, we, we have fun. But when my son-in-law and I were watching, when something great happened, we were excited. Yeah, yeah, that's a I said, Tommy, and he was cooking chili. He kept missing all the good stuff. Tommy, you missed this. Instant replay, and he'd come in. Tommy, you missed this. So I tell you that, that if I say something to you and you want to be encouraged and say, amen, I'll take it. You know, if you want to get excited, I'll take it because, see, we're in the house of God, and if we can get excited watching an OU football game, beating Texas, we should be able to get excited in church, don't you think? And we should be able to lift God up. And 
As a minister, I was always taught you have to get their attention right off the bat. You know, you grab them. So here's how I'm going to open it. How is your love life? And that, you know, you're like, oh, man, well, let me think. Women are going, I don't know. And then most of you are thinking, where is he going with that? But see, I've been married for 39 years. On Tuesday, my wife and I would be together for 42 years. And it's a long time. But here's what I've learned. First of all, to have a good love life, you have to spend time with that person. You have to spend time. Your eyes have to be on that person. You have to lift that person up. You got to treasure that relationship with that person and guard it. And you got to communicate and listen to them. Now, I want you to let that sink in because I'm going to transition now. How is your love life with Jesus Christ? How's your love life? Do you spend time with him? Are your eyes on him and him only? Do you lift him up? Do you treasure and value that relationship? Do you communicate with him? Do you listen and let him talk to you? Because God wants us to be open. He wants us to listen to him. And I'll, I'll use, I'll tell you how I met my wife. She came walking through the girls' dorm at the college we were attending. And she was a transfer student, and she had on a Southwestern cheerleading jacket. And, men, this is the world's greatest pickup line. I'll give it to you right now. As she walked by, I yelled out these words, hey, cheerleader. I mean, I know it's a great pickup line. You're all saying, yeah, I like that. You know, and instantly she turned around. She said, are you talking to me? Now, here's what you need to understand. There was only two people in the dorm, her and me. I mean, it was empty. And I said this to her, I most certainly am. And from then on in, we've been talking. God is talking to us today. You know, he's calling out to us. He's saying, hey, cheerleader, because that's what we are. And we look at God at and we say, are you talking to me? And God is talking to each and every one of us. He's talking to us. And what I want to talk about is found in the book of Luke, chapter 18. And I'm going to look, it's the whole chapter 18. And I'm going to be using the Passion Bible just because I like the way it's worded. I mean, you can use any version you want. It's the same message. It's just messing with the words a little bit. But it starts off, it says, one day Jesus taught the apostles to keep praying and never stop or lose hope. Now, I want you to think about your prayer life. A lot of times when we pray, we pray like we're going to run a 100-yard dash. We start off really hard, and we get the 100 yards, and like we're winded, and we think it's over, and nothing happens. Prayer is a marathon. A marathon is like 26.2 miles, if I'm correct. And when you're praying or when you're running a marathon, there's a part where you run so many miles, 8, 9, 10 miles, depending on who you are, and you reach what they call a wall. And that's where your body starts saying, stop, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go anymore. Just stop, stop, stop. And everything in your body is telling you to stop. And you push through the wall. 
And when you do that, it's like you get this second win and you keep running. Well, sometimes when we're praying, we come to that wall and there's obstacles, there's people, there's whatever it might be, and it's telling you, stop, 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 stop. And what we have to do is we have to push through the wall. And that's what Jesus is telling us. He tells a story. It says, in a certain town, there was a thick-skinned, godless man who had no fear of others' opinion. So this is the judge. Now imagine going to a judge that's thick-skinned, doesn't care about your opinion, and doesn't care about God. And then it tells you that there was a poor widow who came to him. Now I want you to think about this. She has two things going against her. One, she's poor. The other, she's a widow, which means she doesn't have a husband. And apparently, according to the way it was supposed to be back then, if your husband died, his brother was supposed to marry you and take care of you. And that didn't happen. And she doesn't have a son because if she had a son, she wouldn't be going before the judge. And when you study this, it wasn't even proper for her to be going before the judge. Women weren't supposed to do that. But it says she kept coming, and she kept coming. You can just picture it. Monday morning, 8 o'clock, she's right in front of the judge. Help me. Give me justice. He tells her to get out. Tuesday, she's back. Wednesday, she's back. Week after week. It says it went on for a long time. But she kept coming back. She kept coming back. She kept coming back. And finally, the judge says, hey, she's wearing me out. You know, I'm going to give her justice because she's wearing me out. And she just keeps coming and she keeps coming. Now, all through Luke, Jesus goes back and forth. He presents how the world would do it, and then he tells you how his father would do it. Now, he goes on and he says, you know, if this, this judge who doesn't care about men who doesn't care about God, doesn't care about your opinion, will answer this woman because she is persistent. He says, how much more do you think my Father in heaven, who loves you, will answer your prayers? And he goes on, he says, each of you has been chosen. And if you're sitting in this room today, and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have been chosen. And that means you can go before the Father, and he wants to talk to you. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to answer your prayers. But the problem we have sometimes is we want the prayer answered our way. You ever pray to God and tell God exactly what to do? God, I want you to do this, this, this. You know, and, and I always picture myself, if I was God, I would just look down there and say, you're not going to get it. You know, we want it answered our way. And sometimes God delays, and he does that because he wants to build our character. You know, when you're raising your children, you don't always give in to them because you want to build their character. You know, you, you want them to earn it. You want them to appreciate it. And God wants to build our character. He wants to build our faith. He wants to build our hope. And I, I want you to think about that. We serve an incredible God. But he knows exactly what is best for each and every one of us. And he's telling us here, he says, I want you to be persistent. I want you to keep coming. And then in that part, he ends with a sentence. He has a question. He says, yet when the Son of Man comes back, will he find this kind of persistent faithfulness in his people? God is looking for consistent 
faithfulness. That means we're walking with God when it's high. We're walking with God when it's low. We're walking with God in between. We walk with God through the rain, the sun, whatever it might be. We walk with God. He wants us to be consistent. He wants us to be consistent and to seek after him. You know, when I was reading this and studying this, I thought, man, that is so cool. You know, and we could stop there. But the first thing God wants you to understand when we're praying to him is we have to keep coming. You don't just do it once and say, well, God's God. He knows what I need. He wants us to be persistent. And I'll give you the greatest example of persistence. Anyone who has had children, we know that Walmart is the devil. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I have two children. One's sitting here now. One's in Florida. But when they were little, we had to go through Walmart. And you know when you get ready to check out? Right at the checkout, just before you get there, what did Walmart do? They put all kinds of toys and candy, don't they? And what do your kids do when they see them? They start saying, can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And sometimes your kids go ballistic, don't they? And finally, just because you are so embarrassed because everyone else is looking at you, you say, here, take it, be quiet, and you give it to them. And then you give them a lecture when you get a mask, like, don't you ever do that again. But you know when you get in the Walmart, they're going to do it again. See, that's why I mean Walmart's the devil. God wants us to come with a persistence, where we come and we keep coming, and we have that bulldog mentality where we're going to bite into it and we're not letting go. We're going to keep coming. That's what the Lord wants. But it's also about our attitude, our attitude. The next story Jesus tells, it's a, he talks about having humility when you pray. And he tells us, he says, there once were two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader, a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. Now, let me put it in perspective. When Jesus is telling the story, there's all kinds of people around him, and there's Pharisees. They were always around him. They were always trying to catch him. And as soon as he mentions Pharisees, you can just picture them puffing up and looking good. If a Pharisee, if you lived back then, was to knock at your door, you would consider it an honor. You would open the door for them. You would bring them into your home. You would give them the very best seat in the house. When it came time to feed them, you would give them a double portion just to let them know they are so appreciated. So if I ever come to your house, you're going to give me a double portion, right? No, don't do that. So that's the Pharisee. When he went to the market, people would show him respect. They just treated the Pharisees because the Pharisees were supposed to be so above everybody else. But when Jesus mentions the despised tax collector, you could picture people just spitting on the ground saying, oh, yeah. If a tax collector tried to come to your door back then, if you lived in the time of Jesus, you would throw rocks at him. You would tell him to get away. You definitely wouldn't give him anything to eat. And if you did, it would be something that was left over after the dog got finished. You would not give him really good food. In the marketplace, you didn't even want to be around him. You would tell him to stay away from you. He was a despised tax collector. So here's Jesus. He's telling this story. And all the people I want you to visualize this, they're on the Pharisee side. They're saying, yeah, the Pharisee. And then he tells you this. He says, this is how the Pharisee prays. Let me find it in my Bible here. 
It says, the religious leaders stood apart from the others and prayed. How I thank you, oh God, that I'm not wicked like everybody else. They're cheaters, swindlers, and crooks. Like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all I make. Man, that guy is good, isn't he? I mean, everything he's saying is really good. We definitely shouldn't cheat. We should not be committing adultery. Fasting wouldn't hurt any of us. You know, it improves our prayer life. It helps our waistline. It's good for us. You know, if you think about it. And the Bible tells us we're supposed to give our first fruits to the Lord. He tells us we give the 10%. He's going to bless us. You know, that's the, everything he says is good. What is wrong is the presentation. He's calling attention to himself. He's glorifying himself. And as we walk with the Lord, we should always glorify God and give God the glory. Then it gets to the tax collector. He says, the tax collector stood off alone in a corner away from the holy place. And he covered his face with his hands, feeling like he was unworthy even to look up to God, beating his breast. And when I looked that word up, beating, it's the same word used to describe the beating Jesus took on the cross. So this guy's not just touching his chest softly. He's hurting himself. He's banging on himself. It says here that he's broken and he's sobbing and he's, he's crying. And he says, God, please, in your mercy and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. Now, he talks about the blood sacrifice. And back then, we know that your sins were forgiven by the atoning of the blood. And we know that this is a representation of Jesus, that our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. So you have one man glorifying himself, the tax collector humbling himself. And then Jesus drops the mic, you might say. They're all expecting him to say, wow, the Pharisee is great. But look what it says here. He says, which of them left home that day made right with God? He asked a question. And in my mind, I can say all the people, the Pharisee did, the Pharisee. And Jesus says this. He says, it was the humble tax collector, not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all. And everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. So God's telling us when we go to pray to him, we need to go with humility. You know, you don't need to go to God and say, God, look, I did this for you. I did this for you. I did this. You need to do this for me. Do you ever do that? Now think about it. Do you ever, like, try to bargain with God? Do you ever say, God, you know, if you do this, I'm going to do this? That's not what God wants. He wants us to humble ourselves before him. He wants us to come to him, and he wants us to truly realize that he's God and we're not. And we should come with a very humble attitude. Just like when we were praising, you know, that song we were singing about the way maker. I mean, you sing that and you realize he is the way maker. We're nothing. We're, we're, he lets us come with him. And we need to glorify him. And then he goes on. It talks about the children. What the people used to do in Jesus' time, you would bring the children to the rabbi. And the rabbi would put his hand on them and he would bless them. And the people recognized that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a religious teacher. And, and they were bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus could 
lay his hand on him. But his disciples, and you have to love those disciples. You know, you could just preach on those guys all along. They were such a goofy group of guys. They didn't want it. They, they're, they're trying to keep the children away. They're saying, no, 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 he's too important. He doesn't have time for children. But here's what Jesus says. It says, but Jesus called for the parents, the children and his disciples to come and listen to him. And he says, then he told them, never hinder a child from coming to me. Let them all come for God's kingdom realm belongs to them as much as it does to everybody else. Now, when I read that, here's what I understand. Children are important. You know, they're not second, they're first. In God's eyes, we're all the same. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And then he goes on, he says, you know, they demonstrate to you what faith is all about. Learn this well. Unless you receive the revelations of the kingdom realm the same way little children receive it, you will never be able to enter into it. And, you know, you hear this and you hear people say, well, you have to have faith like a child. Have you ever heard that? Faith like a child. It's not in the Bible. I looked it up, and I told my wife, and my wife is, like, really smart. And she looked it up, too. It's not in the Bible. God does not want us to have faith like a child. I want you to think about something. A child is easily deceived, aren't they? You can trick a child. You can mislead a child. God wants us not to have faith like a child. He wants our faith to mature, but he wants us to come to him like a child. When a child, I'll use my granddaughter. When she comes to her parents, she trusts her parents. She doesn't think her parents are going to mislead her. She trusts her parents to guide her and direct her, to love her. She enjoys their fellowship. She smiles when she sees them. She truly wants to be with her parents. And those of you who have children, you know that's true. Well, God wants us to come to him the same way. He wants us to come with that simple childlike faith where we're going to trust him, where we're just going to bask in our fellowship with him, where we're going to enjoy him, that's what he's telling us to do. And that's, what he, that's one of the things about prayer. When we come to God, we need to come like a child, where we're going to allow God to lead us and direct us and to guide us and to show us what to do, and we're going to follow him. Because a child, if you think about children, most of them are very humble and they're very teachable. And they always ask this word, why? I mean, they wear you out with it. Why? And you tell them, why? You know, God wants us to go to him and say, why? Ask, you know. It's like when he asked me to call Pastor Nate. I'm there like, why? No. You know, and, and, and God will impress it upon you. And God will get you to do what he wants. But it's a lot easier just to talk to him and communicate. Now, I want you to think about this. When you're praying, have you ever felt like sometimes your prayer life is being hindered? That it, it, like your prayers are going up here, but they're not making it all the way? There's things we do in our life that hinder our prayer life, that keeps it from being effective. And the next story, it starts in verse 16, I believe. It says, Jesus speaks to a wealthy young ruler. You know, some of your Bibles will say rich young ruler, young man. He had a lot of money. And it says he came to the teacher and he says, what must I do to be saved 
and receive eternal life? And, and that's a valid question. What must I do to be saved and to receive eternal life? And, and I love that. The part that you need to understand, it's, it's what must I do? And in my mind, I picture him coming. He's very rich. He's probably dressed in the purple robes, which was a sign that you had a lot of money. And he comes up to the Lord, and he's confident in himself. And Jesus says, you know, you already know what's right, what the commandments teach. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not lie. Respectfully honor your father and your mother. And the wealthy leader, it says, replies, these things I have been doing as long as I can remember. Some of your Bibles will say when I came of age, which would be 13 if you were a Jewish boy. So he's, he's like, he's coming to the Lord and he's asking for a quest. He's basically saying, show me what giant I need to take. What, what dragon do I need to slay? What do I need to earn my right to heaven? I mean, that, that's how it's coming across. And Jesus in my Bible goes, ah. Oh, you know, like, and he says this, there's still one thing you're missing in your life. And he says, what is it? And he goes, he says this, you must go and sell everything you own, give all the proceedings to the poor so that you will have eternal treasures. It doesn't say eternal life. It says eternal treasures. And then come and follow me. Now, I want you to picture this guy. He's super rich. His money gets him the best places in the synagogue. When he goes to the market, people get out of his way. People treat him with respect because he has money. He's rich. And Jesus realizes this. What's keeping him from truly walking with the Lord is he's more dependent on his money than he's ever going to be dependent on God. And we all know we have to be dependent on Jesus. Not on your bank account, not on your good looks, not on your towns. you got to be dependent, 100%, totally dependent on Jesus Christ. And that's what he tells them. And it says the rich young man in my Bible puts it this way. He says he was devastated for he was extremely wealthy. Some of your Bibles say that he turns and he walks away. And everyone who's there is thinking this. Who can get to heaven? Because in the Jewish society at that, at that time, they thought the richer you, well, you were, the more God was blessing you. So the more money you had, you were up there. The less you had, if you were poor, if you were sick, you were despised. That's why you were that way, and God wasn't blessing you. So they were looking at this guy. This guy has everything, and if he's not going to get to heaven, who can get to heaven? And they're asking that question. And then Jesus says this. He says he saw his disappointment. And looking right at him, he said, it's next to impossible for those who have everything to enter into God's kingdom realm. So one of the things we have to do when we're praying is we have to empty ourselves of things we're holding on to. We have to truly let go of everything so that we can truly hold on to God. And then we're going to have everything. And it says this. It says, nothing could be harder it can be compared to trying to stuff a rope through the eye of a needle. Now, I don't know about you, but if I take a needle and try to put a piece of thread through it, I have a hard time. You know, it's like it takes forever. Imagine trying to take a large piece of rope and put it through a little needle. And that's what it is like if we think we can earn our own way to heaven. I mean, that's what Jesus is telling us here. And Jesus goes on. He says this. He says, 
What appears humanly impossible is more than possible with God. For God can do what man cannot. Now, I tell you that because we need to have a total dependence on God. We know if we've been walking with the Lord, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by the grace of God and what he did for us. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell us here. And when we're praying, we need to have that that expectation, Lord, everything comes from you. You have blessed me so much, and I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to give you the glory. So I want you to think about things that hinder your life now. And I want you to look if you're married. How many of you in here are married? Let me see. Raise your hand. All right. How many have your spouse with you right now? Good, because you're... Now, this is going to be good. You're going to like this, especially you men at the beginning. All you women are probably going to get mad at me. So, men, you might have to form a shield, you know, to protect me. Now, when I do this at my church, my wife will tell you, here's what the men do. As soon as I start mentioning something like this, all the men put their head down. It's like, oh, he's going to get us in trouble. And all the women instantly go, oh, they get, they get ready. And they look at their, their husbands like, if you agree with him, you're going home with him. So I'm just letting you in for this is the response I normally get when I do this. But in the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, one of the reasons your prayers might be hindered might be because of the person next to you. And it has nothing to do with what they're doing and has everything to do with what you're doing. And it starts off in chapter 3. It says, now let me speak to the wives. Be devoted to your own husbands. And I just want to stop there. In Ephesians, you know, there's a word called submit. And when you mention that word, a lot of women go, but we can't get away from God's teaching. But when you look it up in the Greek, the word means eupotasso. And it's a beautiful word. Here's what it means. It means to get under and lift up. Get under and lift up. You women in here are supposed to get under your husband and lift him up. That's what submit means. Now, I want you to think. That's really beautiful the way that's described there. What happens is a lot of times, though, women want to get on top and push down, you know. And, and we know that's true. Not in here, I'm sure, but, you know, it's true. But God's telling us, women, that you have to get under your man and lift him up. And if you're doing that, your prayers are going to be gone through. But if you're not doing that, you're putting up a wall. You're putting up a hindrance to keep your prayers from going. Now, I tell you that, and all the men are saying, yeah, man, preach it. I like this. Right, men? Come on, don't die on me. Please don't. <laughs> See, my, my, all the men in my church do it. They always put their head down. I mean, But let, let's look at the men. If you slide down to verse 7, it says, Husbands, in turn, must treat your wives with tenderness. See, it, God balances out everything perfectly. The problem is men... And women, we have a tendency to mess up God's word. But God has a balance. And it says, you're supposed to treat your wife with tenderness. 
And all the women should be smiling on that part. Yes. And it goes on. It says this. It says, as partners who deserve to be honored. So, men, you're supposed to treat your wife with tenderness. You're supposed to honor her. You know, in Ephesians, when you read about it, it tells you that you're literally supposed to die for her. And if a man is willing to die for his wife, then there's no problem she should have getting under him and lifting him up. I mean, there's a beautiful balance there. And that's what God wants. And then it goes, it tells us this. It says, for they are co-heirs with you of the divine grace of life. Co-heirs. I love that, the way that's put. You know, we're co-heirs. We're all equal in God's eyes. God doesn't look at me and say, well, John, you're a minister. You're special. And your wife, well, well, my wife's a minister, too, so she's just as special. In God's eyes, we're all the same. We're co-heirs. But I love this last part. It says so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I mean, God actually wrote that in there for us. And it's about the men mostly because we sometimes have a hard time. We're supposed to be tender and loving and kind and honoring our wives. And if you think, if men, if we did that to our wives, they would love it. And they wouldn't have a problem doing the other part where they get under and lift you up. A beautiful balance. And it tells us if we're doing that, our prayer lives are going to work. And I'll, I'll let you know how this works. If I get angry with my wife and we have a disagreement, and I go up to the church and say, well, I'm going to work on my sermon now. Nothing happens. I mean, it's like, why did I even drive to the church? Nothing happens. And here's what happens. God will talk to me and say, you know what you need to do. And, you know, and sometimes us men, we're stumbling. Like, well, no, I don't. And then, well, I'm not talking to you until you're talking to her. See, there's a balance. And, and I'll call my wife up and I'll say, I'm sorry. I'm stupid. Forgive me. You know, and she always forgives me because she's a good woman. But as soon as I do that, God, like, starts flowing again. And, and our relationship is restored. And, like, I know if I get angry and I leave, my wife's probably just, he's going to have to call. He's going to have to come back. I got this man. He, he thinks he won. No, I got it. See, God wants us to be in perfect balance with him. And we have to have a goal. I don't know about you. My goal is to be more like Jesus every day. I mean, I, I want to reflect Jesus. I want to feel how Jesus would feel, act how Jesus would act. We all have to have a goal. And the Bible tells us that. And if our prayers aren't working, it might be how we're treating others, because that's what it covers next. Starting in verse 5, I think it is. It says, now this is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness towards other believers. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly. How do you handle that when you're treated wrongly? It says, nor insult those who insult you, but instead respond by speaking a blessing over them because a blessing is what God promises to give you. Now, imagine this. The next time somebody insults you and calls you a name, you look and say, well, I'm going to bless you. I mean, you're, you're on a completely different level. But it's a level God wants you to be on. But most of the time, when people get mad at us, we respond the same way. 
I'll give you a beautiful example. Most of us have experienced this. You're driving down. Some crazy guy goes by you, and he salutes you with a certain finger. Has that ever happened to you? Now, here's my response. My wife will tell you. I always do this. Blow him a kiss. Now, what I found out, that seems to frustrate the guy more than shooting the finger. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm acting like Jesus. Yes, I'm blessing you, brother. You know, it, it's so cool. And, and, and I'm, I'm like really cool and calm. And I'm watching the raging maniac go crazy because, you know, God doesn't want us. He wants us to bless people. So the next time you're driving, you just blow a kiss and see what happens. I mean, you're going to have fun with it. You, God, you know, our Lord does have a sense of humor. I mean, look at us, the way he made us. He, he has a sense of humor. You know, and we might as well enjoy it and act the way God wants us to act. Now, here's what it says. He wants to bless us. Now, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I took my praise and worship team. We went to the Gateway Ministers Conference at the end of beginning of October. And it's like two days of boot camp. You just, you're with God. You hear the word. You're singing. You're praising. It's, it's nonstop from like 9 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. And on the first Monday we were there, we were all going through all this praise and worship. And you just feel God's presence. You're walking around like, I could walk on water. And it got over, and I got my team together. There was eight of us all together. And I said, let's go to Andy's. Now, I don't know if you know what Andy's is, but Andy's is an ice cream. And it comes out in these thick slabs. And it's just delicious. It melts in your mouth. And you, it's addictive. You get some, and you want more. And I told him, I said, let's go to Andy's. So we all went to Andy's. And we pulled up, and here's this Andy's ice cream parlor. They had four employees. They had a drive through The people inside were actually running from station to station. That's how busy they were. And they were bickering with each other because they were just frustrated because they were so overworked. And we came through, and we were all together at one point, but a couple of our members were slow picking out what they wanted. And another van, a church van, pulled up. And when it pulled out, up, they hopped out, and they all had the same badges we had on, Gateway, you know, and so we knew they came from where we were. And this one lady got in front of my, my praise leader, a man named Isaac and his wife Heather, and she asked for a chocolate ice cream in a cup. Not too hard. The boy gave her chocolate ice cream in a cone. Does that sound like the end of the world to you? But the lady proceeded to go totally ballistic. You would think somebody shot her husband. She started yelling at the poor boy, screaming. And here's this gateway. You know, I'm thinking, oh, take the badge off. You know, and, and she's just screaming. And, uh, and here's what I'm thinking, because I'm watching this, because I was watching my team. You know, I want to make sure we all stay together. And I'm thinking, why? How can you be in the presence of God for almost 12 hours and over an ice cream, you're going to go crazy. But here's what I was proud about. Heather and Isaac were right after that. They came up, they saw the situation, and they started to talk to the man very nice. He was a young boy, like maybe 15, 16. And you could just see his face. He looked like he was about to cry. I mean, he, he just got blasted for an ice cream cone. And, and they start to talk to him, and they made their order. And, and Heather, she can't handle milk products, so she got a, a little popsicle, and she ordered a drink. But the boy was so shook up, he gave them their ice cream, but forgot to give them the drink. 
And they didn't say anything. They just came over, and we were talking. And finally, after the line thinned out, she said to her husband, here's the receipt. Go back up and get my drink. And she said, and give him a tip. So he goes up. He gives the boy. He, gets, he says, you know, you forgot to give me the drink. He doesn't say really. He just says, you know, you've been so busy. He was really nice. And the boy hands him the drink, and he says, and here, you can have this. And the kid's face looked like sunshine. It just lit up. It just exploded. I'm thinking, well, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And then we were visiting. You know, we were just talking about what we're learning, how to implement it in the church. And Heather finished her drink. I mean, she no longer, I mean, she put it down, and that boy came flying out of nowhere. Another, I saw your drink was empty. Here's a new one. You know, he was watching her. He was watching us because we treated him kindly. Now, I went to bed that, that night thinking, because I had this message already, and I was think, I'm thinking, her prayers are not going to be answered. You know, I was just, I'm judging. I know you're not supposed to judge, but really, you can do it sometimes. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. We all do it. You know that. You know, but I, I, I was really proud of my praise and worship team, how they've responded. See, in the book of John, in chapter 8, verse 7, there's a story there where Jesus, they brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus was kneeling down in chapter 8, or chapter eight verse 7, and they kept saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And Jesus, he stood up, and he says this. He says, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. Let he who is without sin throw the first stone. Who was standing there who was without sin? The only one was Jesus. And Jesus did not have a single stone in his hand, did he? He didn't throw any stones. Now, I tell you that because we got to make sure, if we're going to say we walk with the Lord, that we drop the stones. we got to start putting skin on Jesus because that's what we're called to do. You and I are supposed to reflect Jesus. We're supposed to honor the Lord. We're supposed to lift him up. We're supposed to put skin on Jesus so that somebody else can see what Jesus is like. We're supposed to be the person who tips the kid who forgets to give us the drink to encourage him. God wants us to be different. And if you go back to Luke, chapter 18, There's a part there I didn't understand why Jesus put it in. It starts at verse 31. And I was praying when I was reading this. I was saying, God, you know, everything in here is about prayer, and all of a sudden now you stick this part in about the resurrection. You know, what's that about? Why did you stick it in there? And, and it says this. When you read it, it goes, it says, Jesus took the 12 aside in private and told them, we're going to go to Jerusalem so that everything prophesied about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. They will betray him and hand him over to the people, and they will mock him, insult him, spit in his face. And after they have abused him and flogged the Son of Man, they will kill him. But in three days, he will rise again. 
Now, I want you to think about something. Why did God put that in there? And when I was praying about it, what God impressed upon me is so that we realize what's important. Sometimes we, we think, you know, if our ice cream doesn't come out the way it's supposed to be, the world is coming to an end. And we need to realize what Jesus paid for us, the beating he went through, the pain he went through, and how he died for our sins and how he rose from the dead so that we could live forever. And when I was reading that, I'm thinking, man, this is so good. This is so good. God, and, and it's just, it's like, it's, it's, it's put in there for us to be able to say, thank you. Ways, way too often when we pray, we forget to say thank you. You know, we should always start off with praising God, thanking him for just allowing us to talk to him. Thank you. Thank you. So I was reading this, and then it ends with a part that it's cool. Have you ever screamed? I mean, have you ever screamed? Like, I, I was watching the OU game. I like OU. What can I say? I don't get to watch very many games, and I can't watch pro football because, as a minister, Sunday's our work day, and all the games are on Sunday. And Monday, I'm always busy, and I never even think about Thursday, so I have one team to root for, OU. And when they do something great, I get excited. It's like, wow. It's like I was talking to Tommy. I said, they had nine sacks. They sacked the Texas quarterback nine times. It was so cool. Man, they were picking him up and slamming him down. I got excited. You know, like, yeah, do it again. Pick that guy up. You know, it was good. Because if you know anything about OU for like a long time, they had a great offense, but they forgot about defense. Now they actually have both. They might end up being the national champion. Who knows? It'd be great. But it was exciting watching them do something great. And, and, and you start screaming, you know, do, do we ever scream out to God? Do we ever get excited for God? You know, sometimes we come to church, we think, well, we're in church. I'm going to raise my hand. You know, I'm, I'm going after it, man. Look, I'm moving a finger, man. Now, now, now we, you know, we're subconscious. But if I took you to a football game... And somebody made a great play, you'd be like, yeah, you'd be screaming and yelling and patting each other. You know, we need that same excitement when we come to church. You know, we need to go after it. Because sometimes if you don't scream, you're going to miss your opportunity. Your opportunity. If you don't scream, you're going to miss your opportunity. I want to end where Jesus heals a blind beggar. And it says, as Jesus and his followers arrived at Jericho, there was a blind beggar sitting on the roadside. When he heard the crowd approaching, he asked, what's all this commotion about? Now, here's what I want you to picture. He wasn't the only beggar there. I mean, beggars showed up wherever there were people. So there's probably more than one beggar. They're all sitting there. But he's the one who's going to grab his opportunity. And he says, you know, what's going on? Because he can't see. He can only hear, but he can hear all this noise coming. And he knows something is happening. And he says, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And it says in my Bible, it says, it's Jesus. See, everything about us should begin with Jesus and end with Jesus. And they tell him, he says, it's Jesus. 
Jesus Nazarene is passing by now. Here's what he does. This is his opportunity. He's sitting there. And I don't believe he's sitting anymore. I believe he's now stood up. And he starts screaming out, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he's crying out to him. And here's how the people respond. They tell him to shut up. Have you ever been praying and you feel something trying to get you to be quiet? You know, to shut up. God can't do this. God's not listening. What you need to do when you hear that, you need to scream louder. I mean, you need to really get after Because look what happens here. It says, those who were in the front of the crowd scolded him and warned him to be quiet. They're saying, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. But we already know Jesus has time for all of us. And I love this. It says, but the blind beggar screamed out even louder. Jesus, son of David, show mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, show mercy on me. He begins to cry out with everything he has. He's screaming out there. And it says, suddenly Jesus stops. And he says, bring that man. Now, I want you to picture this. There's probably a whole bunch of beggars there. But there's only one crying out. There's only one screaming. Jesus doesn't say, bring all of them to me. He says, bring that man, the one who's screaming, the one who's crying out for me, the one who's acknowledging that I can take care of his problem. He cries out. And it says this. He comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And his answer is, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, now you will see. Receive your sight this moment. For your faith in me has given you sight and new life. Now, what gave him his sight? His faith in Jesus. And it gave him new life. Because once he could see, he could get employment. He could work. He could do all kinds of things, which he couldn't do when he was blind. God opened a door for him. And here's, what he, here's how he responds. He says, instantly he could see again. His eyes popped open, and he saw Jesus, and he shouted loud praises. What do we do when a healing takes place? Do we go, oh, thank you, God. It was good. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. You know, I ask you this question. Do we get excited when God works a miracle as we do when some football team scores a touchdown? You know, do we paint our face and put Jesus on it? Do we find like a really big fat guy and take his shirt off and put Jesus across his chest? Because you have seen people do that. You know, I mean, you're up where you watch the Denver team. I mean, I've seen pictures of what those guys look like. It can be 30 degrees below zero, and there's always some overstuffed guy written his name, you know, Denver Broncos. He'll have it on there, and he'll be out there screaming and yelling. It's 30 degrees below zero. And he's having fun. Now, imagine if your pastor next week comes with his shirt off, Jesus written on his chest. You're all going to go, we're leaving. You know? We have a completely different mindset, don't we? 
But God is saying, I want you to be excited for me. I want you to scream. I want you to get after it. Because it's contagious. You know, when you start screaming, you ever, like, get excited and go to high-five the guy next to you and he's not paying attention, so you get, like, nothing? (laughs) See, God wants you to be excited and the person next to you excited. So when you go like this, there's actually someone there, you know, like, yeah, high-five myself, you know. God wants us. Now, look, you read it. It goes on. It says, instantly he could see again. His eyes popped open, and he shouted loud praises to God, and he followed Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to have fun with the Lord. It says, and when the crowd saw what happened, they too erupted and shouted with praises to Jesus. They're like getting all excited. Jesus, yeah, this is so cool. And they know what they do. They start telling people, that guy there, he couldn't see, but look, he, yeah, high five me. He can see now. It's a miracle. And they're all screaming. That's what God wants us to do. But sometimes here's what happens. We read the Bible and we go, well, that happened in the Bible. That's a, that's a Bible story. I don't think it happens now. But you know, it tells us in Hebrews 13.8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it then, he can do it now, and he can do it tomorrow. We just have to have that thing called what? Faith. Now, I told you my title, my message was Breakthrough. And if you remember about Easter of last year, a movie came out called Breakthrough. It was about a, I don't know if you got to see it here, because I know you have that liberty, and you get one movie. <laughs> and it stays for a couple of weeks, and then they give you another movie. It's so cool. I like that. You know, it's not cool. <laughs> see, where we live in Guyman, since it's such a large city, we have like eight theaters. They don't show anything. They're all yucky movies. But once in a while, a good one comes, you know. So you're not missing out on anything. But the movie is so cool, because... There's three boys. It's a true story. It happened like five years ago. They were playing on the lake at St. Charles outside St. Louis, Missouri, and they fell through the ice. Two of the boys got out. But one boy named John Smith, he stayed under the water for 15 minutes. Now think about that, 15 minutes. I can hold my breath for like 15 seconds. So I know I'm dead, all right? He's underwater for 15 minutes. They pull him out, and they began doing CPR on him. They worked on him and worked on him and worked on him for another 57 minutes. So that's over an hour. During that time, he has absolutely no heartbeat. Now, I took anatomy in college. I made an A. My instructor wanted me to be a doctor, but there's a problem with that. I don't like blood. And I don't like needles. So that kind of eliminate being a doctor. But here's what I learned. This thing up here called your brain, after five minutes, if you don't have oxygen, you're like brain dead. You're going to be a vegetable if they do bring you back to life. This boy was dead for over an hour. Over an hour. Now, I want you to let that sink in. Over an hour. And his mom got a call because when we were at conference, at the Gateway Conference, they actually brought the mother there, you know. And you would think she's this, like in the movie, she's this terrorizing woman. She's scary. But she's really a very frail woman. And she used a walker to get her out. And when she first came out, I'm thinking, 
she doesn't look like the woman in the movie, you know, and and the and they had the minister, and I'm saying, it doesn't look like the guy. I think the guy was the guy who played Spider-Man. That's not the same guy. I mean, you know, I'm looking at this. But here's what you could feel on that woman. She had the presence of God. She had the presence of God. You know, she's frail. She's, I didn't know she was going to make it because that stage at Gateway is a long walk. And she's like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. But she got there and she said this. She said, I got a call no mother wants to hear. No mother wants to hear. Your son is basically dead. He's been under the water for 15 minutes. We're performing CPR. There's no heartbeat. No heartbeat at all. And it says the mother, she describes, she says, I'm driving there and I'm praying to God. I'm saying, God, you can do this. God, you can do this. You are who you say you are. And if you are who you say you are, then you can do this. Do we believe God is who he says he is? Do we believe God can do what he says he can do? And it says she finally got there. And I love this part. She said there was a man getting ready to fill in the death certificate. They brought her in just basically so she could say goodbye. And, she, and, and she's looking, and there was a nurse, and she says, and the doctor, and they both looked at her, and they said, there's no heartbeat. And she said, you can see all these machines, and they're just blank, flatline. And she said, the only thing she could reach was his feet, was his feet. And she said, she put her hands on his feet. And she said this prayer. She said, Holy Spirit, you raised Jesus from the dead. Raise my son. Raise my son. And she said, and she didn't pray it softly. When you read it, when you look it up, it says, Mother prays loudly. Son comes back to life. It said when she prayed, she was in the emergency room. Everyone in that whole section, not just in the little room where her son was, but throughout that wing could hear her pray because she was screaming out to the Lord. She screamed because she was taking advantage of her opportunity. She wasn't going to let her son die. Now, you explain to me how you can be dead for an hour, no heartbeat, and here's what happened. According to... The mother and the son, 16 days later, when she prays, he came back to life. And she said when she prayed that the nurse that was standing there and the doctor that was standing there basically got pushed back. And she describes it this way. She said, God let them have their turn at my boy for over an hour. And then God pushed them back basically and says, watch what I can do. And as she prayed, and she said she only prayed for about a minute, Lord, heal him. Holy Spirit, bring back my son. He came back to life. And the doctor also told her, he said, well, he's back, but, you know, he's not going to be back. He's never going to be back the way he was. And she wouldn't accept that. She refused. She kept praying. And it says that in, 14, in 16 days, he left that medical facility. Totally healed. Nothing wrong with him. Forty days later, he was totally released. He was back to playing basketball. The only thing wrong with him was his wrist. He had to work on that for a little bit. That was it. 
Now, I tell you that because that mother screamed. That mother took advantage of her opportunity. And that's why I'm here today, because God wants to give you a breakthrough. If you're sitting there and there's something that's hindering you, something that you're being tormented by, God's today saying, no, 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 you come to me. You come to me in faith and you believe and you cry out, you scream to me, and I will give you the healing because it's not us. It's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to ask you to come forward, every single one of you. And you might not have a need, but the person standing next to you might have a need. And you can raise them up, lift them up. But I want you to think about that song we sung, The Waymaker. Jesus Christ is the Waymaker. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. If there's any one of you that you've been struggling and you need that spiritual breakthrough, God is saying, come forward. And you come forward with faith, and the rest of us will lay our hands on you, and we will pray for you, and we're going to give all the glory to the Lord. But I don't want you to leave here because I came 408 miles. I had to drive through mountains. You know, this place is hard to get to. I live in the flatland where you can see forever, and it's perfectly straight. You can put your car on cruise, and it just goes back and forth. My wife hates that. I do that here, I go off a cliff, all right? 408 miles. God laid you on my heart over a month ago for you to have a breakthrough. So I'm asking you to come forward, and Pastor Nate and I will pray for you. But don't walk out that door and say, Lord, I needed it, and you lost out on it. But you come up and you ask for that breakthrough. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.